everybody, and welcome to another episode of my JavaScript story. Uh, we'll probably also put this on my Angular story since we've had Ben on both of those shows, uh, JavaScript Jabber and Adventures in Angular. Um, ben, we've had you on to talk about RxJS, I think, um, both three, all the times that we've had you on. Yeah. Um, do you want to just give a brief intro to who you are and why you're world famous and all that stuff? <laughs> world famous. Um, so, of course, my name is Ben Lash. I've uh, been a software engineer for about 20 years, a little longer than that, maybe. Um, geez, seems like a long time. And then I work at Google now. Uh, I worked at Netflix before, uh, and I've been working on RxJS for three or four years now, something like that. And now I work on the Angular team. Uh, so that's my, my day job. So. Nice. And I'm just going to call out a couple of episodes so people can go find them if they would like to. Um, Adventures in Angular 199. We had you, Tracy, and Jay. Um, Views on View episode 20. I think we also had all, the three of you. Um, it sounds like you're all kind of this uh, RxJS team. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, JSJ, JavaScript Jabber 248 also uh, talked about reactive programming. Um, yeah. So yeah. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Um, I, guess, I guess I'll ask this uh, before we get rolling too far. Um, it seems like most of the time when we get you on one of the shows, uh, Tracy Lee also comes along. But she, sure. doesn't, she doesn't work for Google, so I'm just curious yeah. what the connection is there. Uh, Tracy and, and Jay Phelps as well. Tracy is one of my best friends. Uh, right. she is also on the RxJS core team. Um, she does a lot of really important PR work and community work for us. Uh, she also kind of leads the, or for a while she was leading the, um, documentation effort, uh, which is, she did such a good job on, of it's kind of taken on a life of its own. So that's great. Uh, and then uh, she takes part in core team meetings and, and that sort of thing for RxJS. So that's, that's, the, that's the main reason that she shows up to the RxJS stuff. Uh, as far as you know, the, the Angular community and uh, everywhere else that you see her, a lot of it's because she's a real community organizer. So she has a lot of really awesome podcasts where she'll get some major names from like all of the browsers and they'll get together and talk about things or she'll get uh, important people from all of the different frameworks, and they'll get together and talk about right. things in a podcast. So she's she's really good at at uh, community outreach and networking and that sort of thing. I'm sure she probably actually introduced me <laughs> to you. So that's uh, that's probably kind of why she's she's next to me a lot. That makes sense. Yeah, it was just I I didn't quite know what all the connections were. I knew she was involved in RxJS, and that you know you guys are pretty good friends. So yeah, I was just like, okay, is there like some official capacity, or is it just yeah, so so that that kind of clarifies some things in my head, um, right. but yeah, I mean, let, let, of all of the above. I, I was a, I was a uh, bridesman at her wedding, so <laughs> that's right. I think I saw pictures of that. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but let's let's dive in and talk about you. Um, now you've worked on RxJS is probably the thing that I know you best for. Um, but RxJS is something that underlies a lot of other stuff on the internet. And, and I'm curious as we dive into this, um, I'm, I'm kind of looking for this journey as to how you got to where you are and, you know, on the Angular core team and, and working on RxJS and things like that. But uh, we're, we're going to start way back uh, when you got into programming. How did that happen? How did you get into programming? 
Uh, well, my first experiences with programming were with uh, BASIC, and um, I believe it was called Pet BASIC on, on uh, Commodore 64, so a long time ago. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a few um, C64 magazines sitting around. They, ha they would have like games and stuff inside of them written in BASIC, right. and I would uh, poke at that. So my, I think my mom originally got those because she was using them for typing pra practice because she was a medical transcriptionist. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so she would, she would type up the code and I would end up with a game and she got typing practice. Right. So <laughs> nice. So like I, I got some start there and then uh, I ended up taking a different route and I uh, went to art school to be an illustrator. Um, and while I was there, I kind of decided it wasn't really the career path I wanted to go on. Uh, and I started doing some work as a graphic designer right out of school. Uh, and um, after, after doing that for a while, there was during the dot-com boom, there was a point at which we had hired some contractors to update our website, which is written in what's now called ASP Classic. Mm -hmm. um, and I walked over to my friend's desk, my friend Jeff Primer Bashore, uh, who I'm still good friends with. He was working on updating it. And I was looking at it and I could I could read what was going on and I was like, Hey, do you mind if I poke around at that? And he and he let me poke around at it and he taught me a few things. And then he was like, Hey Ben, you know you could make way better money doing this than, <laughs> than being a graphic designer, uh, especially if you enjoy it. And I was like, Okay, so that was kind of where I got my um, first, you know, uh, bits into, and that was probably like 1998 or so. Mm -hmm. um, got my first uh, kind of foot wet in professional programming. Right. Well, it's it's funny how many people I talk to that, um, you know, they may have gotten exposed to programming early or not, and then they go to school for something that is completely not computer science. And then, yeah, they, they wind up either coming back to it or being introduced to it at some time later in life. And it, it just kind of underscores to me that there's no right way to come into this. Right. You, you don't have yeah, to yeah. have a master's degree in computer science to invent something that people are going to use. Right. You just need, you need problem-solving skill. And frankly, that's something that everybody has. Um, so like I, I really liked when I was in high school, I really liked geometry proofs. I know a lot of people don't like those, but it's looking back, it was kind of a similar concept where you had a known set of rules and with that known set of rules, you had to prove something else. Right. So you had to take that known set of rules and kind of build something out of them. And, um, I, I think that the fact that I really enjoy doing stuff like that, um, is, probably one of the reasons I, I uh, dove into uh, software engineering. So especially web development. I, I liked it because, you know, initially like, oh, look, I can make something move on the screen and update. And that was rather mm -hmm. exciting uh, back in the day. So telling a computer what to do and, and seeing it do it, I'm getting that, that immediate feedback. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for me, it was, it was something similar where um, I had taken a bunch of computer science classes in college because I was a computer engineering major. And uh, yeah, I just thought programming was kind of this joke. And then I went and solved a real problem with it, right? And it's like, right. yeah, you know, oh, wow, this, you know, this is, it's fun when it means something or it's fun when it does something or it's fun when it, you know, it, it takes me on this journey. And, and that's, that's kind of what the show's about. But it's also, I, I think where a lot of people can really identify, even if, my experience doesn't directly mirror yours. So, uh, so, so you get into programming, um, you know, getting paid more. Um, at what point did you start getting, starting in, getting into JavaScript? Uh, so actually literally the first real programming job I had was I, I got a contract to work at this company called uh, micro center, which they're still around. They're like, a mm -hmm. Uh, computer store retailer. They're pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, they're based out of Columbus, Ohio, and that's where I lived at the time. And okay. uh, the deal was they had this ad. They were looking for a part-time developer for one month, so four hours a day for one month. Uh, and they were going to pay something crazy. I think it was like 80 bucks an hour or something like that. And I applied to it, and I had no degree, no experience. Right. Uh, so I applied, and of course, I didn't hear back. So I called in, and they were like, 
uh, you know, nobody could talk to you right now. And then I called in the next day. Nobody could talk to you right now. I just kept calling in. And eventually the, the lady who answered the phone was like, what can I get to get, do to get you to stop calling in? And I was like, give me an interview. And if they don't like me, I'll never come back again, right? And yep. so they agreed and I came in for an interview. And uh, I, I tested and uh, it was, this job was to work with HTML and JavaScript exclusively. That's all they were doing mm-hmm. uh, with what I was doing. Um, I don't even know what their tech, the rest of their tech stack was um, at the time. It was probably like CGI or something, but right. um, I, uh, I, I interviewed and they gave me a few questions and I passed maybe like 50% of the questions to be totally honest. They're like, look, so you did okay on the questions, but you, you missed you know, like half of them and you're, you don't have a degree. You're not qualified on paper. Why should we hire you? And I'm like, well, because I'll work for 10 bucks an hour, which is like, <laughs> one eighth of what you're going to pay somebody else you could still hire that person and if i'm here for two days and you don't like me you you've only spent as much money as you're going to spend on them for an hour so i just want the experience i really enjoy this like uh so i did i worked there and i was there for three months instead of just one month nice. uh, they, did, they did end up hiring somebody else they didn't make somebody's job or anything but um for for the 80 dollar an hour gig but so i was there and i did um <laughs> i made this javascript it was, uh, I don't know if people know about this, but if, even if you go into Chrome today and you type window.status, you'll get an empty string back. Uh, and window.status is this API that existed in Internet Explorer 4 that enabled you to change what is like used to be where the URL was displayed. Mm-hmm. So this was a horrible security thing because people used to go in and change, like they'd, they'd update on hovers for links to like say that the URL was going to be one thing and then it would take them somebody else, somewhere else. But what I was responsible for doing with this thing is to make like a ticker in it. So no matter where you were on this website, it would, it would tick by like these sales on particular items in the, in the status bar at the bottom, as opposed to this being the default behavior, which is to show you what URL you were hovering over for a link or something. So uh, that was one of the first things I did um, other than doing some HTML updates and stuff like that. uh, And, the people that worked there were very uh, kind and helpful and patient with me because, you know, I was a beginner. Right. But um, yeah. And like to learn back then, I literally, I would leave work. I would go to a Barnes and Noble nearby and like lo- loiter and read books because the books were like 50 bucks. <laughs> and I couldn't afford to spend the money on the book. So I would loiter in there and read books. Uh, and cause there was no Google, there was no stack right. overflow. Um, yeah. So but yeah, the first thing I made was like the, one of the cheesiest, things you can imagine from back in the in the 90s the little a little ticker at the bottom um that's pretty funny. good but you know what's, what's really funny is i uh <laughs> just recently somebody had a thing where they took a uh, windows and they compiled it to WebAssembly, and it was, yeah, it was like i've seen that windows xp or something five or something like that yeah. and i was like this is awesome so i went into that running in the browser in chrome and I opened up Notepad and I made an HTML page that mimicked that same behavior of ticking things along the bottom of Internet Explorer. And I was super pleased with myself. I was so happy. That I had done that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, that's um, that was kind of my first. That was my first gig, and then after that, you know, I I got into I went and worked at an insurance company and did a bunch of consulting and that sort of thing where I was bouncing around all sorts of companies yeah. for six month contracts here and there. So it's, it's interesting to me too, that you kind of, I, I don't know, uh, micro center, it sounds like it was sort of a full-time job or sort of a part-time job, sort of a contract. And you went straight to, you know, essentially consulting. Uh, most people, they wind up, you know, they get a full-time job and kind of do that thing for a while before they go out on their own. Yeah. I don't know. I think, uh, I think a lot of it is because in Columbus at the time, most of the businesses there are like headquarters for different companies and uh, a lot of banking institutions and insurance institutions. And those types of entities at the time weren't really willing to spend money on tech infrastructure and people. So they would rather just pull contractors in. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and because of that, there was like this big consulting industry in that town and they were, the recruiters were much more aggressive. So, that was, uh, that was, that was a bulk of my work. I, I worked for a company called uh, Tech Systems, another company called Robert Half. Uh, most of mm-hmm. the time I did consulting. So, and I'd hop between the two. Like it was never yep. just, 
together. Yep, I've I've heard of both of those. In fact, I've gotten spam emailed by both of them. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm sure everybody's been emailed by them. They're <laughs> they're uh, they're prolific. Yep. So you're you're out there. You're doing the consulting, and. I'm just, it, it seems interesting. I mean, there's, there's this gap between I'm doing the consulting thing and I'm building RxJS. So, I mean, yeah. how do you, how do you start making that, that transition into, I'm going to write a serious library for this problem in web development, right? So there's a, there's a long story to that. So basically I ended up working mostly in like ASP, what is now ASP classic, uh, right. in like Google basic and uh, I really wanted to be a Java developer, but like at the time, if you had ever touched anything Microsoft related, people were like, you know, get away from me. You, you've touched Microsoft. You can't touch Java. <laughs> um, so when C Sharp came out, I was like all over it. Like that was my main right. thing. So I did .NET development for probably a decade or more. Uh, and a lot of it, some of it was backend, some of it was Windows apps. Uh, I did like a vector graphics processing engine for this uh, t-shirt company that I worked for that was... Well, it was pro to date, it's probably still one of the more fun projects I've ever worked on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I, it, I came to a place where I had moved to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was working on, uh, I was working on an, an app that uh, on the side for this, this unpaid gig, basically, where uh, they wanted things to update real time. Uh, and basically at the time, at that time in history, people who were real web engineers didn't want to touch JavaScript. It was viewed as like this horrible thing. You don't touch it. You use a real language to do all your programming, like mm -hmm. Java or C sharp or even PHP, which was still made fun of, but still considered to be better than JavaScript in a lot of ways at the time. And so I was the only person who was brave enough to be like, yeah, sure. Um, I'll dive into all this jQuery business and, and get this done. And uh, Angular was very, very new at that time. I had been doing things with jQuery for a few years and Angular was very new and I started getting into it and um, the documentation was not there really because it was, like I said, extremely new. And so I started answering questions on Stack Overflow that I didn't know the answer to mm -hmm. just to learn it. I, and because of that, I ended up getting all these points on Stack Overflow and then I'm doing... I'm just doing consulting work and then I find a permanent job at, at a company in Pittsburgh, but all this other stuff is going on on the side. The, the, one of the jobs I got, I was working on a lot of angular stuff at McKesson automation, which is turned to ascent and was recently purchased by another company. I don't remember the name of the company. Uh, interestingly, Mishka's wife works for the same company. I, I just don't remember the name of it at the moment. Um, oh, interesting. But, uh, the, um, I was doing Angular app there and all of a sudden I get this email from Netflix that's like, hey, do you want to interview at Netflix? And I thought it was a joke. Like I thought it was <laughs> one of my uh, friends, like, I don't know, just spoofing an email, right? Right. And so I'm like, okay, sure. And as it turned out, Netflix was looking at building an Angular app for an internal uh, tool that they were building. And they kept seeing my name come up on Stack Overflow over and over again. They thought, well, we should just see if this guy wants to work here. And so I went in there. So I did a phone interview. So I'm like, okay, so I'll do a phone interview and we'll see how this goes. And I did a phone interview and I wasn't expecting much out of it. Um, because in my head, like everyone that works at a company like Netflix or Google or something are these like insanely awesome engineers, right? And it's true. They I are. hear that a lot. I hear that a lot though. And it's not, it's not that they're not, like you said, it's not that they're not insanely talented people. It's just that, yeah, there was, you know, they came into this world the same way we did. And, yeah, yeah. you know, they've, they've worked hard in different ways that have qualified them to have those jobs. Right. But, you know, here's what I'm thinking. Like, I'm going to do this interview. And it's pretty much like if I was on a basketball court with all professional basketball players and they're like, hey, I want you to shoot this. <laughs> I just feel like, okay, yeah. because I figure, you know, no one's going to be shocked if I miss. Right. So. Right. Like it's, there's, I don't have anything to worry about. So I, I went in and I, I, well, I did the interview and then they're like, well, we want you to fly in. And I'm like, okay, well, at the, at the very worst, I get a free trip to California to go check things out and whatever, it'll be interesting. I'll get to see Netflix. So I flew in and I did an interview and man, I was, I was so nervous. I was super nervous about this interview because, um, you know, I've never interviewed a company like that before. 
And then next thing you know, I had like the VP or whatever was walking me to the door and I'm like, okay, well, I'm probably gonna get an offer, but there's no way it'll be enough to, you know, convince me to move my family to the most expensive city in America, right? Or right. Expensive area in America. And uh, then it was, and then all of a sudden I'm in this place where I'm like, oh, so I've got to make a decision. And uh, we, of course, uh, decided to come out. And while I was at Netflix, uh, I worked on an Ember-based app. It wasn't even Angular-based. Uh, Ember is a great framework. Uh, it, was a, it was a fun app. It was a data visualization for like real-time streaming what's coming into uh, the Netflix cloud. Like all, like every event you could possibly imagine, uh, you were able to access it in like these graphs and all sorts of interesting stuff. It's a fun project. Um, and in that, they had started using RxJS. However, it was, uh, they had started kind of using it naively and it wasn't being used to its full potential. And I didn't really understand at the time. I looked at it, RxJS and I was like, what is this, another Lodash? Like, why do we need this? Right. Um, <laughs> right, we had streaming data, but like literally we were streaming, immediately taking it, shoving it in an array and then like manipulating the array all the way down. And it was causing um, these crazy memory leaks where, not memory leaks, but basically, garbage collection where we were creating all these intermediary arrays and then and then garbage collection was collecting them and like our views would slowly lock up over the course of about five minutes. Mm -hmm. So I started digging into what RxJS was and I realized that if instead of dumping them into an array right away, I took it through RxJS um, various operator steps and then pulled it out at the very end, I would skip making all those any intermediary arrays in this in this one unique use case. Uh, and that's when I realized, well, we also need this, we need to retry when operator because I need to be able to, I want to be able to uh, reconnect this whole WebSocket thing. And so I contributed the retry when operator to RxJS 4. Uh, and I started kind of getting into this. Uh, at the time it wasn't 4, it was, it was 2, I think. Uh, I started getting into this and contributing a little bit more. And I decided that it would be really cool if there was some sort of interop spec. And right about then, uh, uh, guy named Ben Christensen and another guy named Jafar Hussein mm -hmm. uh, and another guy named Eric Meyer all showed up at my desk. So Eric Meyer is the creator of RX. Right. Um, and Jafar Hussein is, he, he at the time at, at Netflix was kind of like the UI lead of leads. Like he did a lot of cross, um, cross team uh, collaboration sort of stuff mm -hmm. throughout Netflix UI. We've ben had Christensen the was the brainchild uh, of using reactive programming for our entire backend. So he did a lot of work on Rx Java. And their ask was, hey Ben, we know that you're doing a lot of performance work on this big app that you're working on. How would you like to do some performance work and rewrite uh, RxJS? And I said, I think Paul Taylor is more qualified or any number of other people. <laughs> uh, why doesn't Jopper do it? <laughs> and, and um, they, they were insistent, so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a, a shot. And at Netflix, it was an environment where you could kind of just be like, hey, um, you know, my org decided this is important. I'm going to go work on this stuff. And my, my manager was like, okay, great. And so I worked on it for probably like between three and four months, um, almost full time. And I got a lot of help from... Jafar Hussein and Paul Taylor and mm -hmm. uh, Matt Pawasaki and some other folks. So Matt Pawasaki is the original creator of RxJS. Uh, a lot of people think that I am, but that's not the case. And worked on rewriting it. And that later became RxJS. It was, it was named RxJS 3, but then 3 and 4 were released. And it then became RxJS Next, which when we published it became RxJS 5. So um, that, was, that was kind of how I got started in RxJS. And it was... It was a bit of uh, just dumb luck, I guess, being in the right place at the right time more than anything else. Yeah. So. Hey guys, let me tell you about Clubhouse. I swear, I've used every project management software there is out there, and I hated project management software. Now I have Clubhouse. Overall, it's simple and straightforward to use, but it has enough of the integrations and power features you need to get the job done without getting confusing. This means that I can use it, and the non-technical members of my team can figure out what they need from it. It also makes it easy for me to zoom out and see what's going on overall before zooming back in and specifying more work that needs to be done or picking in the next task for me to tackle. They integrate with all the systems that you'd expect and have a REST API for, well, 
the rest. If you go to https clubhouse.io slash JS story, you can get two months free instead of the standard 14-day trial for any team size. Once again, that's https clubhouse.io slash JS story. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I ran into Matt at one of the Microsoft events that I went to last year. And yeah, we had a good chat about things and where he's at. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. He's an interesting guy. That's for sure. Yeah. He's a super nice guy. Um, I really, really appreciate uh, the fact that he allowed me to, to work on it and kind of take over the project because it was, it was his baby before, but yep. uh, he's moved on some, to some other really awesome stuff. He's been working at IXJS. Uh, I don't know everything that he's been working on at, at Microsoft, but it sounds like he's really happy with some of the cooler stuff that he's yeah. moved on to. So, yeah. So at what point did you become the RxJS guy? Because it sounds uh, like you just kind of did the rewrite and then, yeah. You know, how does that shuffle work? Um, I think a lot of it was uh, after the rewrite, um, I did some convincing. So I, I had already made some friends in the Angular team because I had, had a couple of uh, large PRs on Angular and uh, Igor Minar from the Angular team. Uh, he's one of the leads. He actually lived, um, I don't even know, like seven blocks away from Netflix or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I hung out with him a couple times and convinced them that in the, the new uh, rewrite of Angular that they were doing, which was Angular 2, uh, the fatefully named Angular 2, uh, yeah. they should probably use observables instead of promises and went over the reasons why and the, just the things that we discovered in Netflix. Uh, and so that drove at least, I would say, half of, of RxJS's popularity. And it was for specifically that version of RxJS, which was RxJS 5. Uh, at that point, Paul Taylor had moved on from Netflix and it ended up being me kind of working alone on RxJS, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like part of a duo or part of a team. Uh, OJ Quine came on as just kind of a random contributor. Uh, and now he's also an owner on the repository. Uh, and, but uh, as it stood, like that kind of left me to be the only one that was doing public speaking for, for the, um, that particular version and hire of RxJS. Uh, since then, there's a, you know, hundreds of people that have done it, which is great. Um, but I think that's the main reason I got kind of known for being the RxJS guy and I'm still the lead on the, the project. So that's right. probably, that's probably why. One other thing that I'm curious about is it seems like a lot of these uh, technologies and libraries that get championed or built out at larger companies like Microsoft or Facebook or Google um, you know, people tend to know that the technology came out of there, but RxJS, I, I did, I, you know, I guess I wasn't really super aware that it came out of Netflix. Is, is there a reason? Uh, for that? The, the rewrite, the rewrite did, uh, but it, it was more of an open source thing. So okay. the original version of RxJS came from Microsoft. Okay. So if you go to like GitHub reactive dash extensions slash RxJS, RxJS four and lower is all Microsoft. And in fact, the, the, uh, ReactiveX logo that exists for all Rx projects like Rx Java, Rx PHP, RxJS, uh, all that. Um, that was originally the the logo from uh, Microsoft's Project Volta, which is why it's a pink electric eel. And Project mm-hmm. Volta was this uh, crazy project where they were um, compiling uh, C Sharp into JavaScript. And so they wanted a, a <laughs> compilation target for Rx.net because it was so popular within Microsoft. And that became RxJS. And so a lot of the APIs that exist in RxJS exist because they came from um, the, the original RxJS, which was just a straight port of Rx.net. So you'll see that if, if you're a .NET developer, you're, you're familiar with uh, things like, you know, first, first or default, single, uh, these, these various APIs that are all like take, you can take one first or single, and they're all kind of the same thing. Um, but there, there's different nuances to them, and they all existed in .NET, which is why they're now in, in RxJS. So I'm kind of the API service area is really big, but uh, you know, if I was to remove something, it could break thousands of people. So we just keep maintaining right. those. Um, but yeah, that's that's the the origin of it is is really from Microsoft, and now it's part of the ReactiveX org, which is fully 
um, open source. So if you look at the copyright on it now, it says copyright Microsoft, Netflix, Google, and contributors. So anybody that's contributed technically has copyright over like whatever part of it via Apache oh. 2 license. But, that's interesting. Yeah. So you, you kept maintaining it while you were working at Netflix. Um, at what point did you get, you know, cause I remember they announced, I think it was an NGComp uh, last year that, you know, they announced you were joining the Angular team. So how, how did that come about? Uh, let's see. Well, I, I left Netflix uh, and I came to work at, for, at Google on the Alkali team, which is like an internal uh, kind of Angular platform as a service tool at okay. Google uh, with the hopes that some that uh, eventually I'd be able to be moved to the Angular team. Um, the position I was in at, Net, at Netflix, uh, ArcGIS is an important part of what they're doing, but not, uh, they're a much smaller company, right? So they, right. they have a hard time bankrolling open source projects like that. Mm -hmm. um, so not that they ha don't have the money, but it's, it's harder for them to justify is probably a better way to put it. Um, right. Engineering. So uh, Google, on the other hand, and particularly the Angular team, has a vested interest in RxJS. So I felt like that it was just a better place for me to go. Mm -hmm. uh, and I mean, the, my, my uh, managers at Netflix agreed as well. So came over to, to Google, uh, worked on Alkali for about a year, and then uh, then they, they have what's called Headcount opened up uh, on the Angular team, and I was able to move over to the Angular, Angular team. Now I work for Mishko, so. That's cool. I know a lot of people who would love to be on the Angular team. But yeah, well, we, they should apply. I don't, I don't know what positions they have available right now, but um, Lord knows there's more than enough work to go around. So. Yep. Very cool. So what, what are you working on now? Uh, right now I'm working on uh, the core pieces of Angular Ivy. So Angular Ivy is this big, um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a straight up rewrite of Angular because that, that's a bad way to characterize it, but basically taking the core bits of Angular and writing them in the compiler in such a way that uh, templates and everything about it are much more tree shakeable. So it results in much, much smaller Angular apps from the exact same code that you had before. So the, the goal right now is to get it to where we can take all of the many, 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 many Angular apps inside of Google especially and um, have them without changing much about them, have them, um, compile with Angular Ivy and just have smaller apps by default. So it's basically, it's just a, it's a, it's a very fancy refactoring of Angular to make sure that Angular is producing the smallest possible uh, app for you and app bundle for you at, at the end of the day. Um, it's, it's funny because it's one of those things where I think there's a lot of people like, you know, well, we want these new features or we want these other things fixed or whatever, but like our team is very, very focused on uh, the Angular Ivy effort. And I was thinking about it today and really what it kind of amounts to is, you know, how people work on something and they're like, they see tech debt mounting and everyone knows tech debt mounts. And then at some point you have to like pull back and refactor a bunch of stuff to eliminate that, that tech right. debt. Um, I, I personally, this is my personal opinion on it. I can't verify this, the team's opinion on it, but like, I think the Ivy effort is probably one of the best uh, efforts I've ever seen at, at trying to eliminate uh, uh, tech debt uh, caused by you know previous design. So right. it's a much much better design. The uh, the stuff that's coming out of this I think is really amazing, and I can't wait for it to be released. Um, you know, it's it's mostly I mean it's all open source, so it's mostly public. But like just just the discussions around like how you can step through templates in a debugger and that sort of thing mm -hmm. are just really, really awesome. And the, the fact that the, the templates compile down to these human readable uh, functions, uh, they're very, very minimal, uh, is, is really, really impressive to me. So and it's going to enable a lot of really cool stuff as far as reactive features and those things. But it can't, like with the current architecture, the view engine ar architecture now, there's things we can't do. And with uh, the upcoming Ivy architecture, there's a lot more we can do. And we can do it, and without ma having massive size impact on people's app bundles. So, yeah, that makes. I, sense. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's exciting. It. I, I've heard people attributing all kinds of wonderful 
things that are going to come out of Angular once we get Ivy and uh, yeah, you know, ha- hearing the Angular team talk about it, it sounds like we'll get some of those things, but for the most part, I think most people are going to see from what I understand, kind of a minimal impact, you know, their bundle size may change. You might get better tooling out of it, but you know, I don't know that you're, you know, and you're depending on your situation, I guess your, your website might run faster, but it, it's not going to be this uh, panacea for all of the things that, you know, still kind of bug people about angular that are using it. Yeah. But it's, uh, it is definitely the gateway to, to, yeah fixing all of the things that people want fixed about Angular. Like it's, and that, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. And it's funny because, uh, you know, you're the second person I've talked to today that's talked about uh, this effort. Um, I interviewed Pete Bacon Darwin a couple hours ago, and he was talking about source maps for templates. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's what he was. We, were, we just talked to him about that earlier today, so it's fresh yeah. in his mind, I'm sure. Yeah, he had a meeting right after my interview, so I'm I'm guessing that that yeah, I interviewed him and then he went to the meeting and talked to you guys about it and then uh, probably, probably yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's I mean that that kind of thing's exciting, right? Because then it's oh well, I've got this wacky error and I you know it's giving me source code references for Angular, you know, where it's trying to render the stuff instead of actually telling me, hey, you've got a problem and here's where it is in the template and things right. like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's. That's going to be a really cool feature, in my opinion. Super nice. Um, Super yeah. nice. So, um, one other thing, I, I a lot of times I wind up interviewing people, you know, like you, and the thing that I know you for is RxJS, but it turns out that you've done other cool stuff or other things that you really enjoyed as part of your journey in code. Do you have sure. any things like that? I mean, things that you're just super proud of or really enjoyed working on that may or may yeah, not be yeah. that people know about? Um, Definitely. Uh, there was, I worked on a vector graphics processing engine for, which I think I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. for a, a t-shirt a customization company. And what it boiled down to was you go to their, their, they're called Aries Sportswear. And their primary customer base are like high school sports teams. And so you go to their e-commerce site uh, and you would attack it from one of two ways. Either you'd be like, oh, I want a shirt or shorts or a bag or something. And then, or wait, I want to find my design first and um, kind of put them together. And what this thing would do is you could go in and say what your high school was, like you could look it up mm-hmm. and it would go to a database and pull out like what the school colors are, what the mascot was and some other information. And then there were all of these uh, designs that were serialized into database rows that were procedural. So it would say like, there's four elements on there. One of them is the high school text uh, and that is supposed to be bent and positioned at this location. And the other one is this, the team name, which is supposed to be bent between two, these two arbitrary paths and positioned at this location. And another one's like a football graphic and it needs to be oh, placed wow. here or whatever. And so it would go through and, and render these designs uh, basically as um, vector graphics mm-hmm. and actually render them onto images, even onto shirts that were, you know, kind of turned at an angle, some of them, and might have like the tassels from a hoodie hanging over top of it, and it would trim all that out and everything. And I had to do all that uh, from scratch because none of that existed in .NET, which is what was all processed on the back end. And it had to be able to render 20 of those images in under a second and respond with what was not, you know, it's not like we had Google's infrastructure, right? Like we couldn't pre-cache a lot. So it's a small company. But that was a really, really fun project. Uh, I got to use calculus, I think, for the first time in my life. Maybe the last <laughs> time. Um, which is really funny because I, I came up with a way to like take flat text and bend it between two arbitrary paths. Uh-huh. And after I did it, I was like, wait, I'm just doing calculus. <laughs> I, just, I just never realized I was breaking this into smaller parts that I could process more easily. And basically, this is just calculus. But... Yep. But yeah, uh, that was a really, really fun project. And it still exists today on the web. Uh, they're still using it. Um, it's, it's probably one of those things, if I went back to it, the code would be, you know, bad. Because it's so, so many years ago. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they're still using it. That, that project's like 10 years ago now. Um, that's a fun one. I did, uh, I made this, these Ember graphing components and Ember that were for at Netflix that were, um, you could say, 
this outer component's a graph, and then I'm adding, you could kind of declaratively add paths to the graph uh -huh. and uh, position things however you like, like add whatever SVG elements you want. And they all carried through having the same scale within the same context. That was pretty fun kind of a way to declaratively build these graphs because we had to build so many graphs in that particular app I was on. Uh, that got open sourced and taken over by somebody else. I, mean, I don't think Netflix even maintains it anymore. But that was a fun project. Um, and it, it taught me a lot about uh, component interaction and uh, different things about component life cycles that I hadn't really considered before because I wasn't really a framework mm -hmm. author or anything like that. But, um, fun stuff. Uh, it's also what was one of the catalysts I put in a, a PR to fix uh, how SVG was handled in Angular 1 and in uh, Ember at the same time because uh, nobody's framework, including React at the time, nobody really handled uh, SVG properly. They were creating all the elements with uh, document create element instead of document create element namespace, so they wouldn't come out properly. Um, so I think that's something that all frameworks kind of now do properly by default, like it's a learned lesson. Right. But that That's super cool. And those projects just sound, yeah, it's like, okay, I got to bend my brain around this problem and, uh, yeah, figure this stuff out. I don't think I've used at least, at least not directly used calculus since I graduated from college. Right. For so. geometry. I mean, honestly, like I, I like, I like problems where I get to use geometry at work and I don't get to do that very often. Um, so that's, that stuff, that stuff can be a lot of fun. Some, some people, it's really funny. Like I've met people who are some of those brilliant engineers I've ever known in my life. And mm -hmm. if you face them with like a visual problem in code, they're like, they just like back off. They have no idea what to do with it. Um, you know, they can, they can write these amazing yeah. distributed uh, systems, but like you ask them about positioning, you know, these things in, in virtual space with uh, code and all of a sudden it's, it's too much. So it's it's a it's kind of a different skill set and it's very interesting. Um, yeah, it's also interesting to see who's willing to go for it and develop those skills and who's not. Right, right, right. I think that I feel like um, a lot of people that come from more of a design background tend to excel in some of those things where they're dealing with, yeah. uh, you know, because animations and um, uh, data visualizations and those sorts of things require a lot of uh, geometry. Frankly, mm -hmm. like you have to. You have to be able to visualize what you're doing with code before it actually shows up in order to be very successful in, in those those sorts of endeavors. And it's a different skill set. Uh, I think that especially data visualization, um, animations, people tend to pay attention to people to do animations because they're cool and people like them. But I, I don't think a lot of people really uh, respect the technical side of data visualization. Uh, but it's a really it's really a growing field. and the stuff that people do with it is super impressive and trying to get it done in a way that performs well in the browser and stuff is, is pretty intense. So, um, yeah, I recommend it. Like people try to get more talks on that kind of stuff at conferences and stuff because it's, it's, uh, the tech side of it's very, very interesting. Cool. Well, I know that there are definitely, uh, conferences coming up where you can submit talks. So encourage people yeah. to do that. Lots and lots of those. Yep. Very cool. Well, um, I guess the last question I have is, um, of all the things we've talked about, is there a lesson that you think people should take from your journey through code? Um, I think the most important thing is to ask questions. Ask a lot of questions. Don't worry about feeling dumb. I, um, I do not have, I had no cla classical training in software development at all. Um, not a single class in my life and computer science of any sort. And, um, you know, I don't recommend that pathway, like, at all. I think it's probably best if, if people uh, go to school and, like, it's a much easier path to get to where I'm at than the path that I took. But uh, regardless of what your background is, it's very important to ask questions when you're confused or when you don't know something. And, you know, it's okay to feel dumb. Like, anyone, anyone that makes you feel dumb, it's really their problem. And besides, like, if you ask the question, then you only don't know until you get the answer. And then guess what? Now you know. So yep. it, it's not that big of a deal to, to ask a lot of questions, even if they're embarrassing. Um, I asked a lot of embarrassing questions over my career. A lot. A lot. 
<laughs> so, so if you can I, imagine, I did it publicly. I've probably asked it. So, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and just to piggyback on that a little bit, I mean, uh, the times that I leveled up the fastest were after basically we started Ruby Rogues and then JavaScript Jabber. And I was asking the quote unquote dumb questions. And I'd get emails from people saying, you know, thanks for asking the question because I wouldn't know the an- I didn't know the answer. And I mean that, yeah, I'd level up because I was talking to people who legitimately had, in some cases, invented the answer. And so, yeah, you, you have to ask, you have to grow, you have to talk to people and you just have to make it work. Right. Yeah. 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 The other thing I'll, I'll pile on is, you know, you, you mentioned that, yeah, the ideal path might be a computer science degree, but you know, if you didn't follow that path, that doesn't disqualify you from doing anything. Right. Yeah. I, I, I still recommend that path <laughs> if, you, if you can, if you can, uh, just, just because, um, times are different now a little bit, but, uh, mostly, mostly just because, I mean, I, I would, it was 15 years in, into my career before I ended up at Netflix. Right. Yeah. If, if your goal is to work at a company like Netflix or, or Google or something like that, then, um, you know, schools will teach you what you need to know to some degree for those things. Uh, at least faster than you'll be able to teach yourself because there's the problem when you're teaching yourself of you don't quite know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just kind of figure it out as you're, as you're going. Um, I mean, like the questions I've asked just to get rid of it, if anyone's ever like, Oh, Ben Lush is the smartest dude ever. Like it, it weirds me out because I'm like, you know, there was a time where I at work asked somebody what a string was because I had no idea. I was like, what are you talking about a string? Oh, the thing in quotes. Oh, the thing in quotes. Okay, that's a string. Got it. Thanks. Like, yep. legit. Like, what's an abstract class? I have no idea. Like, I've, I've asked yeah. questions like that before. And, um, and, you know, some people made me feel stupid when I asked questions like that. Good people did not make me feel stupid. And after I got the answer, I knew and I never asked again. So, or I started researching, you know. So just stay curious and, and remember to ask questions. It's really important. Yeah. Well, and you couldn't get where you've gotten to without knowing what a string is. So, yeah. Right. So if I had never asked, then I would not be sitting here. Yep. <laughs> the, the, the butterfly effect of me not asking questions 20 years ago would, yep. uh, you know, still be doing, I don't know what right now. Yeah. But ultimately, I mean, you have to take responsibility for what you're learning and where you're going and, and yeah, asking questions sure. is a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. Try try new things. Don't be afraid to break them. Um, ask a lot of questions. Awesome. Well, uh, the last section of the show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about on the show? Oh boy. Um, normally, I would I would try to think about these things ahead of time. I mean, the biggest thing is because I'm working on it is the Angular Ivy stuff. I highly recommend people kind of keep a close eye on that stuff. I know that some Angularians are like. They're like, oh, we want these other features. I don't care about smaller bundle sizes, but um, this is really going to enable some of those things. And the stuff, the work that's being done here is being done by some amazingly smart people uh, uh, doing some really amazing things. So uh, definitely Angular Ivy is a big pick. Um, Let's see, other stuff. There is a uh, reactive.how, Cedric Solis is this guy. He's come up with some really awesome data, data visualizations around reactive programming that are worth a look uh, if people are more visual learners. Um, I'd love to get more help from him on the, the RxJS docs. Uh, I don't get enough time to work on that stuff right now, but um, there's some really cool stuff there to go check out. Um, I think that's it off the top of my head right now. So other than that, uh, I'll, I'll, I will be at ng-conf for anyone that's going to ng-conf. Um, I am running a workshop there in RxJS. I give all of my profits to charity for my workshops. Uh, rxworkshop.com, you can sign up for workshops there. I don't know if, how many we have scheduled for the future, but again, I give all of my profits to charity. I'm not making a huge, I'm not plugging something I'm making money off of. Um, it's something I enjoy doing and I enjoy giving the money to charity and uh, so check those things out uh, if you're looking to learn ArxJS, and uh, especially if your company's going to pay for it, you, you'd like the money to go to charity anyways. Um, it's it's uh, kind of a win-win in that regard. So Awesome. Yeah, I'll be at NGConf as well, so 
uh, we'll keep an eye out for each other. Um, and yeah, anyone else who's there, I'd love to talk to you. Um, I, I'm going to jump in with a couple of picks. Um, one thing I'm getting back into these days is Twitter. And yeah, I try not to waste too much time on there, but it is a great way to connect with people. Um, and so I, I really just like getting, you know, I just read, basically I read my notifications and messages and then, you know, if I have something to say, I'll tweet it. But, um, it's been a terrific way to connect with people and just really kind of see where folks are when I want to catch up with them. So, um, I'm going to shout out about that. Um, and that reminds me, um, uh, how do people find you online? Ben? Uh, usually Twitter is, is best if you just go to like at Ben Lash at Twitter. Um, uh, actually an offer that I put out recently uh, to my friend Angel Banks. So she runs a conference. I forget the name of the conference. Uh, I'm sorry, Angel, if you're watching this, I forgot the name of your conference. But the, basically my offer and as it stands is if, if anybody from uh, an underrepresented group is going to wants to speak about RxJS at a conference, and is unsure about their talk or they would like help with their talk, um, I am 100% happy to set aside time and, and work with them on these sorts of things. Uh, for one, um, I don't think there's enough people doing talks on RxJS and the more people giving good talks, the better. And, and two, I think that diversity is a really important thing at these conferences. Um, uh, you know, we can't, it's not good if we just have me going to every, every conference to talk about RxJS. It's important that we get diverse voice diverse voices talking about these things and I'd like to help out with that. So I made the offer on Twitter. I don't know how many people saw it, but if more people are on this platform, then great. Um, the offer stands. So you can get a hold of me on Twitter is the easiest way. Uh, I check my DMs regularly and I always try to answer any questions that anybody has of, of any background on Twitter about RxJS. So. Nice. And is that re refactor.tech? Uh, yeah, I think that's the one. That's right. We'll just make sure we get a link to that in the show notes too. That way people can find it if they want it. Um, very cool. Well, thanks for coming, Ben, and talking to us. I know we went a little over time, but um, I, I love just diving in and, and finding out, you know, how people got to where they are and, and what makes them tick. And yeah. So anyway, and thanks for all your work on uh, RxJS and Angular and everything else. Thanks. I, I'll just state how I got where I am is a lot of luck. I've, I've been very, very lucky to meet awesome people that have helped me out through my career, including people I work with here at Google right now. So um, I'll admit I'm a very, very lucky guy. Yeah. Well, I think I heard somebody once say that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. And so, you know, again, back to the idea of asking questions and, you know, being curious and then you run into the right person and it all kind of just works out. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. I still feel pretty lucky. But yeah. uh, fair enough, fair enough. All right, well, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this up, and we will catch everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.